We now have our Bible readings, which Rosemary is going to read to us. It's taken from Exodus 25, verse 1 to 9, and then 31, verses 1 to 11. It can be found on page 75 of the Old Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, we read of the instructions the Lord gave Moses concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and its furniture. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to take for me an offering from all whose hearts prompt them to give. You shall receive the offering for me. This is the offering that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and crimson yarns and fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram's skins, fine leather, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and gems to be set in the ephod and for the breastpiece, and have them make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them in accordance with all that I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. The Lord spoke to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled them with divine spirit, with ability, intelligence, and knowledge in every kind of craft to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, in every kind of craft. Moreover, I have appointed with him Oholiab, son of Ahishamach of the tribe of Dan, and I have given skill to all the skillful so that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the covenant and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin with its stand, and the finely worked vestments, the holy vestments for the priest Aaron, and the vestments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place. They shall do just as I have commanded you. The second reading is taken from Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. It can be found on page 7 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, Jesus speaks about the wisdom of building your life upon him. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. 
and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rosemary. Can we pray? Oh Lord, I pray now that you will take what I've prepared and you'll speak through it and, and that you will take our minds and think through them and that you'll take our hearts and dwell in them. Yes, Lord. Amen. Well, today is the fifth part of our series in Exodus, uh, a book that can be divided into roughly two parts. I don't know how many of you actually have followed number one, number two, number three, and number four, um, but let me tell you that what we've looked at so far is the, really the first half of Exodus, uh, in which we've seen God uh, freeing his people from slavery. And in the second half, he frees his people to serve him. Uh, Terence Fretheim summarizes this whole area of, uh, of Exodus uh, extremely well. He says, the book of Exodus moves from slavery to worship. It moves from Israel's bondage to Pharaoh to its bonding to Yahweh. And more particularly, the book moves from enforced construction of the buildings for Pharaoh to the glad and obedient offering of the people for a building to the worship of God. And that's where we are today in those two readings. I wonder how much you took in in the, of those two readings. Dear Ian gave me this privilege of speaking from that passage and, and seeing what I was going to uh, what was I going to say? Do you know, I, I, I went through it over and over again and I said, Lord, what do you want me to pick out of this? Wow. Uh, there, there's so much there that, um, and, when, and what's going to apply to us? Where, where do we fit in in all of this? Well, in those two readings, uh, it's in chapters 25 to 31, that the Lord gives very clear direct directions for the building of the tabernacle. And it's in chapters 35 to 39 how his instructions are to be carried out. But I, I don't know if you picked it up, but at the heart of this whole exercise, uh, we reach what is indeed the climax of the book of, of Exodus. Yeah, and it's in chapter 25 and verse eight, and Rosemary's just read that to us, and I'm, I'm going to repeat it for you. That the people make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. Make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. 
He picked up God's heart from that. See, this is God longing to be with his people and to be in a relationship with them. Oh, the Lord's presence, uh, this Lord's presence with them was so necessary if they were to be the means by which others would be drawn to love and serve him. And it's so true, you know, for us, for each one of us. It's so true for us. Indeed, it's foundational for our mission to make disciples the purpose to which we are called, that God is with us, that God is dwelling in us, that God is with us in every way. Back one, back, back to the building. Just two or three things I want to focus on and underline. The Israelites, again, I'm sure you picked this up, they were told to play their part. They were to contribute and they were prompted to offer the very best. They had to offer the finest of everything, the most precious and valuable materials. Nothing shoddy from the second-hand shop. Everything, everything that they gave was to reflect the greatness and the magnificence and the majesty of God. And all that they gave was to be used in the precise way that God directed. I don't want to make comparisons, but I love to think that when this church, often referred to as God's house, as it were, God's dwelling place, that when it was built, that God oversaw the construction and that he guided everyone involved, and that only the best materials were used. I'd love to think that God led the way and guided the alterations and the additions over the centuries, including some that have taken place in my lifetime, in the lifetime of some of you here. And I pray that he, that he, almighty God, will guide us and make clear to us any alterations and additions that we should be making. You know, we cry out Sunday by Sunday, week after week, day by day, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. We're praying very specifically, your kingdom come in this parish and in this island. Oh Lord, do show us how you want to use this building and how you want to use us in the purpose to which we are called so that more of your kingdom will come. Yes, Lord, just as you guided and led the people in, of the Israelites, so please guide us so that we know exactly how to proceed. But in the building instructions, I note, and I hope that, again, that you pick this up, that God repeats that everything, everything to the finest detail is to be executed exactly as he has shown and just as he commanded. Do you get the picture there? It's obedience that is called for. He's saying, do it just as I commanded. Oh, I felt this was a great reminder to us about obedience. 
You know, I looked up my Bible concordance and I just gave up counting the number of times that we are called upon by God to obey him and his commands. If my people obey me, then I will. If my people obey me, then I will. Oh, how much we miss out on when we are disobedient or simply ignore his guidelines and commandments. But not only were the Israelites called upon to make an offering, but they themselves were also told to get on with building the tabernacle and making the furnishings. It's pretty obvious that some of that work was going to be complicated. It was going to be tricky. And, you know, a reminder, they had to carry out the set plans exactly and precisely in every detail. Did they have the necessary skills and the artistic talent? No, quite clearly they didn't. How do I know that? It's there, isn't it, in God's word. We read there how God in his grace chose and appointed two men, Bezalel and Oholiab. Lovely names, aren't they? Bezalel and Oholiab and others. And he filled them with divine spirit. He filled them with the spirit of God. I quote, this is what he said. I have filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God and I've given him great wisdom, ability and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He's a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver and bronze. He's skilled in engraving. And so he goes on. Do you know, Bezalel is the first in the Bible to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But as we read through the New Old Testament, we find there are quite a number who are filled with the Holy Spirit, but each and every one for a specific task. And you see, when God commands, he equips those he has called to fulfill what was required of them or what is required. In those days, it was always for a specific task. But hallelujah, since Pentecost, our God, who promised to pour out his spirit on all people, offers all who follow him to receive the Holy Spirit's gifting, to live life to the full, to live life to the full with his wisdom and understanding. And he further gifts us when he chooses us to carry out the task to which we are called. Have you taken that in? You know, we need have no fear. The Lord calls us to a particular task. He will equip us. Come on, be encouraged. Come on, smile. You're wonderful, great to know. Have no fear. What he did, he's the same God who equipped Oliab and Bezalel, and he equips us, each and every one, according to our calling. For the Israelites, though, 
the tabernacle, the sanctuary, was God's dwelling place. And in many respects, of course, our church buildings, the house of God, as many refer to it, these buildings have over many years been looked on as the place where God is. Oh, that's where folk go to meet with God. I know some who come here on, uh, quite often during the week because uh, that, that's where we go to meet with God. See, I think that thought that this is where God is uh, is so great that in their minds that he is nowhere else. It was some years ago when I was with a family preparing for the funeral service of their father and they asked me what prayers I was going to use in the service. I mentioned that I would remember their dad with thanksgiving. I would pray for them who were, and those who were grieving at the loss of a loved one. Uh, oh, they said, could we see the prayers in advance? Uh, um, oh, they said, we're not in a hurry. Can we go to the church now to look at the prayers? And I said, why go to the church? Well, that's where the prayers are. And that's where God things are. You see, their picture that this was probably where God was. St. Patrick, in his prayer, hit the nail on the head, didn't he? As it were, when he said, Christ is above me. Christ is before me. Christ is beside me. Christ is behind me. Christ is beneath me. And what do we say? The Lord is here. His spirit is with us. And he's promised never to leave us or desert us. How could he leave us if he's never been here in the first place? But St. Patrick goes on in his prayer and says, Christ with me and Christ within me. Christ within me. My friends, we are new covenant people and God dwells in us. St. Paul in his letter to the Corinthian church, not to the building but to the people, tells them, don't you realize that you are the temple of God? Saying it to us now, come on. Don't you realize that you are the temple of God and that God's spirit lives in you? And again, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? And writing to the church in Ephesus, we are God's house, Paul says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are God's house where he dwells. And we are each one of us a building that is still under construction. God hasn't finished with us yet. Do you think he's finished with you? No, of course he hasn't. God hasn't finished with us. We are a work in progress. We are being built up until we all reach unity in the faith 
and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you know, I cling with trusting faith to the verse from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, the verse that was given to me at my confirmation, that he who began a good work in you, he who began a good work in you, Brian, will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know, whatever work that God has begun in you, he will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you know what God has said he will do? In his prayer for the Ephesians, I'm quoting St. Paul once again, he writes, I pray that Christ may dwell in you through faith. I pray that Christ may dwell in you through faith. Do you know what that original word dwell really means? It says that Christ may take up permanent residence in you through faith to take up permanent residence through faith, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week, 24-7. You know, his dwelling, thereby affecting the way we live, the way we act, the way we speak, the way we behave, the people that we are. You know, as I was preparing for today, I was reminded of the account of a man who was challenged by this verse because he realized that there were, there were what he called rooms in his life. Rooms in his life which he'd kept locked and not let Christ enter into and take up residence. There was that room with not very pleasant habits. There was another room with painful memories. There was a room where self and what he wanted was important, regardless of others. There was a room where a critical spirit resided. There was a room of worry and anxiety. There was a room where money was dominating his life. He was challenged when he thought about it. And he just realized and knew that he had to open that door and let Christ in to every part of his life. I wonder when you hear that, whether you are in any way challenged. I wonder if there are any rooms in our lives where in some way we've put up a no entry sign to God. I don't want you to get involved, Lord, in that part of my life. Stay clear. You know, we miss out on so much if we exclude him. For where God dwells, he's there to help us deal with the problems, to deal with the difficulties, the pains, the whatever. And he helps us to deal with them in his way. You know, when he lives and dwells with us.
I learned many CSSM choruses in my younger days, and I, used to, I remember singing them with enthusiasm, not always thinking about what I was singing. And if any of you remember the chorus, He Lives, we had it up on the screen uh, earlier this morning. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Do you know, I can repeat those words now in the knowledge of the reality of what I'm saying. That Christ Jesus lives today and that he lives within my heart. He dwells in me. And I can look ahead to each day, to each week, knowing that I'm not alone, that he's with me and that he's taken up permanent residence in me. Hallelujah. What about you? Oh, how I echo Paul's prayer for those who are unaware of God's presence in their lives, that Christ may dwell in them through faith. And my friends, do pray for those who you know who are unaware of God's presence in their lives. Pray that Christ may dwell in them through faith. theme for this morning is God's dwelling place. You know, Christ seeks to dwell in our lives. We are God's dwelling place. Amen.